evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Half Ashed. My name is Mr. Craig Schneider. That gentleman is Mr. Kib Fisher. We are coming to you live for the 153rd time this 14th day of October 2016. And Mr. Fisher, you know what I just wanted to do? What? For some odd reason, I wanted to introduce myself as Mr. White and you as Mr. Pink. Okay. Uh, why? Do you, ha- do you know that movie? I don't know if you know that movie. No, I don't believe it. Ah, for some reason, I was transported to a, a Reservoir Dogs place in my mind. Oh. Uh, it, uh, it's, it's Tarantino's masterpiece. I don't care if he thinks Glorious Bastards is. <laughs> oh, it's uh, best movie of the 90s. Okay. Check it out. Anyways. Yeah, I'll get around to it one of these days. I don't see very many movies. I'm uh, I'm a minute into the show and already taking us down a rat hole. I apologize for that. <laughs> it's not a rat hole if you were never on the right trail to start with. That's true. I did just go down that direction, so technically the show is the rat hole. Yeah. <laughs> the show's a distraction. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've already watched a Rogue One trailer. Now I'm talking about uh, Tarantino movies. And I like cigars and doing this podcast. What would I be doing if I didn't like this? don't know well that's all right i also like smoking a cigar of which we are doing this evening so shockingly what can you tell us about it this is a pretty special cigar it's uh it's definitely an interesting one we're having uh we're having an older Cohiba Bihike. Uh, this is the 56 Vitola, and uh, this is a pre-release version. It's not the actual original release that came out in, I believe, May or June of that year. This is from earlier on uh, in 2010, before it had been officially released. Uh, mighty big cigar, a mighty enjoyable cigar, but I am I correct in thinking it's the first time you've smoked this, or have you had one before? I've Have had, you had a, other BEKs? Excuse me. I had one that was so intolerably plugged that I really have no basis to even talk about it. This, for all intents and purposes, this really is the first. But it is absolute perfection with the draw. It couldn't be any better. Mm. Yeah, good. I'm glad to hear that. It's. Uh, I I have to say, when I smoke big cigars, 56 plus. Um, I usually am worried about there being burn problems. I, I don't smoke enough of them to kind of know how to smoke them. Um, just naturally I'll say. And, uh, so I usually get some runs and some minor, uh, minor issues. Uh, and, uh, so I'm kind of expecting that from this cigar, but just more from my own merit than its fault. So we'll see how that goes. You know, this is a total rat trail too. rat hole, rabbit trail. Uh, and I don't know why I'm even thinking of this, but it seems to me personally, I don't smoke very many really big ring cigars, but they seem, it seems like I tend to over puff them a little bit because they feel uh, diluted when I'm smoking them in comparison to smaller rings. And, and like there's more, more air and less smoke than I'm typically accustomed to. I don't know why that is. You know, I just feel uncomfortable smoking it. Not not the the typical uncomfortable. It's big in my mouth and it makes my jaw hurt. I have that too, but that's that's not what I'm referencing. It's more I don't know the 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 tempo 
that the cigar needs. If I have a, a Robusto or a Corona or a Lancero, I just know, okay, I take a soft puff. I take it about every 45 to 60 seconds, and I'm good to go. That cigar will go for its entirety. On a big stick like this, I get the point where, well, I, I don't know if you'll be able to see it on the video, but there's just a little bit of that thickened mascara line where it looks as if the cigar isn't burning all the way. So I over puff or at least don't puff with regularity um, just because I see that. It's like it's so big I can't keep it all ignited at once. And that, I think, is what's leading to some of those burn issues for me. But I don't know. It's, uh, sometimes we just have to sacrifice and smoke a cigar like this for the good of mankind. <laughs> For the good of humanity. Well, you know, I really, it's what it boils down to, doesn't it? Sure. I mean, if we weren't going to, who would have taken these out of my humidor and smoked them? Really? Exactly. They'd still be sitting there. <laughs> it's just a shame. Nobody would put water in the humidor. They'd go to waste. Oh, sad, sad. I've been trying to get my beads to draw water out. Lately, uh, humidity has been perfect the entire time we've lived here. I have beads in the humidor and have never added a drop of water ever. And it always stayed 65 to 70 and they're 65 percent beads. But lately, every time I open that thing up, it's 72, 74. It's, it's kind of a little bit more damp than I prefer. Are you uh, um, uh, are you experiencing really high relative humidity in the house? Well, um, the house is the same as outdoors here. There's no AC, so it stays whatever the out, the ambient <laughs> humidity is. Hmm. And I, I don't have a clue what that is. It, we have had a good bit of rain, so yeah, it's probably a little more damp than normal. Oh, yeah. Duh. You have had a good bit of rain. You survived uh, the rains of Matthew. Yeah, but it, this was going on before that even. It's been few weeks well since i haven't i haven't noticed a difference in the cigars yet i just see it on the little gauge whenever i open it up it's always running higher well uh it might not uh might not be that way have you calibrated or done a salt test with your hygrometer for a while no it's been over a year i don't know how regularly that needs to occur that might not be a bad thing for us to find out and let people know but I would think that every year would be a logical time to do that. Yeah, why not, considering most people never do it. <laughs> you know, I got to guess, though, that you're not using distilled water. Is that correct? I've not put a drop of water in it since we moved here. Oh, well, that's true. That's true. But before we moved, yeah, I was using distilled water. Now, in thinking about it, I wonder if living in an incredibly humid environment is going to actually give a lifespan um, to those beads if they will eventually clog and not uh, have the hydroscopic benefit that they normally would. I don't know the answer to that. That would logically seem to make sense because if you're not adding moisture, that means those beads are working off the environmental and the water vapor in the air isn't necessarily, uh, <laughs> it's not distilled water. It's not uh, perfectly or, clean. Or they're just saturated with moisture and they can't work both directions. But oh, well, they, certainly. 
Yeah, certainly. They can only, they only have, but the, no, I don't think that's it because they turn clear when they're wet and they're not clear. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. But something we can find out, I'm sure. There's enough people who sell those now. Yeah. Uh, so we uh, we mentioned you've been going through a lot of rain. How uh, how was the hurricane? It was next to nothing for us. I mean, uh, uh, yes, kind of breezy for a couple of days, but no, not not even tropical storm winds. And we had a fair amount of rain, but still, it was it was next to nothing for Santiago. Hmm. We were we were in uh, North Carolina, the Outer Banks of North Carolina, for a wedding, and it. Um, you know, it was it was pretty bad leading up to it. The hurricane hit late, late Friday night, early Saturday. Um, no, no, it probably hit late morning Saturday, I'd guess. Um, and uh, the wedding was Friday night, and so the festivities ended. But you know, there were you're standing out on a beach that is good to swim on, and you don't want to step 10 feet into that water for fear that a wave is just going to take your feet out from under you. It was, oh, yeah. uh, it was pretty wicked. And there was a 30 mile an hour wind most of the time, um, before the thing hit. And, uh, then it hit and it was, it was time to get off that thin strip of land. That's all of about a foot above sea level. Yep, exactly. It was uh, an interesting one. Um, there are part the southwestern portion of the Dominican Republic got hit pretty pretty hard, and of course the that spur sticking out off Haiti got just pummeled and beat to death. But Santiago is pretty well protected. Actually, we have mountains on three sides of this city. It's difficult for too awful much of a hurricane to get into here. Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess that does make sense, except. Well, Dominican Republic isn't nearly as forested as Haiti, but if you're uh, in a valley... Do you mean deforested? Because DR has 30 times the amount of forestation as Haiti. Um, that's what I mean, yes. I used the incorrect word there. So, okay. Um, yeah, Haiti is something like... I think I read a fact that it was like 97% deforested. That's it. Making charcoal. It's just crazy. Yeah, or maybe... Maybe you told me that. I don't know. But they I think use, I did. Uh, they use um, charcoal as their primary heating source, I believe. And cooking, for cooking, basically. And, yeah. And, and it was the same here until the 60s, and the Dominican government realized what was happening, and they outlawed production of charcoal for people at home because they made it to, to use to cook. And when they did that, they concurrently subsidized the price of propane and made it very inexpensive here. Propane's very cheap mm. and to encourage people to cook with propane. And that has saved their forests over the past 50 years. Mm. Well, somebody was thinking ahead. Yeah. Hey, maybe sustainability isn't all that bad. <laughs> <laughs> it probably saved lives in the Dominican. Probably. Well... So I'm uh, I'm glad that you are just slightly saturated, but altogether uh, safe and healthy. Hopefully that all uh, stands true for your entire family. And I am ready to talk a little bit more about this cigar. 
see, you have a uh, lengthy dissertation to say about this cigar here. You know, it's a lengthy dissertation, and quite frankly, it could have been the entire length of our notes. I feel like there's just a a metric buttload of of information that you can share about these bahikes. Um, it's kind of it's kind of annoying, uh, annoying to give a little summary on. It's just a, it's such an interesting cigar, such an interesting release too. Um, and and it has dang near a legend surrounding it these days with all the the talk and the the mystique of this cigar over the past few years. You know, I a lot of people give Cuba a hard time about just now being a marketing machine and why would we sell a Corona for $5 a cigar when we can sell a you know a a, a Corona Gorda uh or a Churchill for 15 or 20. You know, they they absolutely have taken uh, just a, a a guillotine to um the lines of available cigars and just chopped out everything that was small, affordable, um, a connoisseur sizes really, and made everything big, 56 rings, six and a half, seven inches long. Um, and Hey, you can charge three, four times the cost for that. These bahikes, hell, some of these bahikes, cheapest you can find them is in the 30, $40 range per cigar. Yeah. And that's a, a a drop from where they debuted, right? And weren't they at one point much more expensive even? You know, I don't know if prices have typically fallen. I just think that now you have sources that have had a lot of sources that have had availability over the years. And so people are starting to price match and discount and offer just less expensive or lower margins um, for a long, long time. I think better part of a year you couldn't even get Bahikes late 15, early 16. Um, there was an absolute shortage of the Medio Tiempo leaf, uh, the the hallmark aspect of this blend, which I'll talk a little bit about here. Um, and so where I was going to kind of credit Cuba was that um, they didn't just put these cigars out. They didn't, they may have for a time, but they did not just continuously push out Media Tiempo less Bihike. They uh, they have not been available, nor have they even really been manufactured for quite some time until very recently, I think. Um, so, it, you know, it, I don't think that Cuba is perfect. I think that, quite frankly, they're becoming more capitalist by the day, and uh, that is going to be backed by one of the news stories that we'll talk a little bit about later on. But um, I I really do think that uh, they might be doing this one right. They don't want to sully the waters and damage the name of, of Bihike, but more generally Cohiba by putting out an inferior product. Um, but, you know, that's, there's, there's a lot of conjecture to this, to this cigar and this blend. And uh, we can talk about that as the night goes on and as we share kind of our thoughts. So the, do you know what, do you know what the word Bihike means? You know, I I don't recall at the moment, but yes, it's another one of, I, no, um, no, I do not recall. Cohiba is what I'm thinking of. What that uh, definition is? Do you know? I, um, it's been a long time, and I have a tumor-addled mind, but I believe it was like a witch doctor kind of guy. Hmm. Uh, let's see. I'm on 
the Abano website, perhaps that will give me a quick reference for definition of vehike, and I'm not seeing it. Uh, perhaps I'll come across it here in a little bit, but not right now. Um, well, um, why don't I get into some of the basics about this, that that summary that I said uh, had had a little bit of difficulty with, and we can go from there. So, cool. get, get back to the notes. All right. So in 2010, um, Cuba did something that the cigar industry had not really seen before. It, it figured a way to utilize a segment of the tobacco plant that had never been used in a cigar before. So the media tiempo leaf, medio tiempo leaf was included in the Bihike line, representing that leaf's first use in any known major production Vitola. Um, the media tiempo leaf, medio tiempo, I'm going to do that all night, calling it media tiempo. Correct me if I do it and don't catch myself. Um, hmm. The medio tiempo leaf uh, is essentially the top two, and at times... For some plants, it can be the top four leaves absolutely um, coming out of the very top of the plant. So it's not the corona. It's not typically that first priming, um, well, what we think of as the first priming of Lajero, or even what was used as uh, the Maduro in the original Edicio Limitada uh, cigars in 2000, 2001, and 2003. Um, this is... It's strictly a heavier, leathery, nearly impossible to process leaf that only occurs on some of the plants. So the Bahike was released with the front marks of 52, 54, and 56, corresponding logically to uh, the size increase amongst the three cigars, uh, and brought really an entirely new depth of flavor to the famed Cohiba flagship brand. Cohiba was finally offering a deep, dark, dirty, grimy release, kind of that that strong, manly flavor that the industry was starting to really crave in the late aughts and early teens. Um, people loved it. This cigar came out to nary a bad word said about it. Um, and a friend of mine returned from the island in early 2010 with a bundle of these 56s, uh, even before they were released. That's where these came from. These are cigars that, these are the cigars that we're smoking tonight, and they are pre production. Um, I can't be certain that they represent the final production blend, as I have only ever had one regular production 56. I've had 52s, but the 56s are just too darn expensive. I never really bought them. Um, and quite frankly, amongst this bundle, I'm not even certain that they're the exact same blend throughout the bundle. I have had some variation, uh, which I was told could be the case in pre-production. They were testing out just final versions that they were deciding to move forward with, which was kind of a cool occurrence. I don't usually have pre-production um, or prototype cigars, so this is kind of fun. As we smoke tonight, I'll be interested to see what your uh, tasting notes are lining up with they're lining up with the cigar I'm smoking or some of the other cigars that I've smoked from uh, this bundle. I can be certain that they are characteristically Cohiba, um, but many are downright earthy enough to keep even the biggest fan 
of like a Bolivar or other incredibly earthy cigars like some of the old school Partigas to keep even them satisfied. This is brown sugar, vanilla, just these kind of typical Cohiba flavors that you get, but with earth just in spades, a dark deepness to that flavor. Um, Citrus does weave in and out at times, and it is a welcome palate cleanser. I think that it really could have become a more frequent um, contestant here. Uh, I, I think that the cigar would benefit from it. Now, that's to my palate. I'm not somebody who usually goes for the deep, dark, tobacco-centric, really earthy, really strong-flavored or hard-flavored cigars. But this one isn't incredibly hard. It just trends towards that, especially when relating it to the typical Cohiba blend. Yeah, I could not agree more with how you just described it, in particular with the uh, comments about the vanilla and the earthiness so far. And I'm actually going through this a little faster than I would have expected. But that's very, very much the characteristics that I would have thrown out there. Um, uh, initially, with, uh, not at first puff, but within the first 10 minutes, um, there was a little bit of a zingy kind of citrus, not like sweetness, almost a lemony kind of thing. And But that's been going for quite some time now it's been that vanilla kind of really stands out to me Mm -hmm. Mm. well i uh i'm i'm overwhelmed by this cigar in fact i probably won't be able to smoke through the whole thing tonight i bet i put this down at about two and a half inches left it's just a lot of cigar for me um i lit this up early i lit it up at about 745 an hour and a half ago, and I have about four and three eighths left on it, and it is a six and a half inch long cigar. So, in an hour and a half, I've smoked two inches. Um, wow, uh, I haven't smoked two inches yet, but I'm not incredibly far behind you, and I only lit it 45 minutes or so ago. Wow. Well, you saw what it was. I mean, I had an inch smoked maybe at 45 minutes. When I yeah. came onto the call, something like that. Yeah, I don't have my little handy dandy gauge out here, and it's well well longer than four inches. But it, uh, I'm going to catch up with you and pass you for too long. Well, that's probably a product of me just being a little bit slower smoker than you, and me yapping because I'm the one giving our intro here in the beginning. But I would venture to say that you're probably going to notice that the next one if you haven't smoked the second sample i don't know if you've only smoked the one sample if this is the only one you've smoked or if you have the other one this is the first it is okay i'm gonna guess that that one will go a little slower um this could easily be a three-hour cigar at least in my experiences it could easily be a three-hour cigar you know i have i'm sitting here thinking about it because i've been paying attention a little bit lately to how long it takes me to smoke cigars because I, I often smoke with my friend Nick here and he smokes typically smokes quite a bit faster than me, but yeah, I've noticed that we were smoking the same cigar and I actually had outpaced him. I don't seem to be very consistent in, in, in recent weeks. and I'm not sure why. Hmm. That's interesting. I, I, I can't even offer a guess as to why you wouldn't be consistent. Well, I'm just an inconsistent kind of guy. 
<laughs> have you been smoking a pipe at all? No. Well, maybe twice in the past three months. No more than that. Oh, wow. Wow, that's lighter than I expected. I smoked a pipe today. Really? What'd you have? Yeah. Margate. No. I'll talk that, a little bit about that later. Quintessential English blend. Hang on a second. I I love that blend. It's uh, one of my favorites. I do too. Um, it's very much a favorite. And Esoterica Tobacchiana is the company company, and then it goes through a couple of other hands. It goes by a few names, but that's the the the, the company name that should normally be attached to it. They have quite a number of very good blends. One of them is called Penzance, and it comes in a, a cake form where you got to rub out or cut off what you want to smoke. And it's also very good, but it's more dark and more earthy uh, than, than the Margate. Margate's a little more crisp, a little more uh, of a campfire kind of feel to it than the Penzance. And Margate definitely holds up better to long-term aging. Uh, Penzance tends to come out of a container almost in powder. It's real temperamental with the mm. conditions. I learned that the hard way by investing heavily in it early on. <laughs> that uh, That is the hard way. <laughs> yeah. Arkansas Cigars in the chat room just said Stonehaven is great too, and he's absolutely right. Stonehaven has a little bit uh, not a little bit, has a good dose of burley in it. And I'm not a huge burley fan because it can overpower me with with its potency and it tends to only carry the flavors of what what is or what surrounds it in the blend. Um, but there's only maybe three or four dominant or predominant uh, burley blends I like and Stonehaven is one of them and it ages beautifully. Uh, it, you know, we talk about plume on cigars and same thing occurs on pipe tobacco and Stonehaven. It just tends to do that more readily than a lot of others. And you can, if you keep it in jars, like I traditionally did, I had a big cabinet full of jars and you could, you know, every once in a while open the cabinet up and look through there and see the, the dusting on the Stonehaven. Hmm. That's so uh, I had <clears throat> what not to, steer the topic away from what um, you're talking about, but I had a, a little dusting on a couple of bahikes that I pulled out tonight to choose which one I was going to smoke. I was wondering if it was plume or if it was just the slight starting of mold. It was it was not white. It was just a little powdery. It was not raised, but it it felt more like a textural difference than something I could wipe Hmm. If that makes sense, so I, it was a weird feeling. Yeah, the uh, the two that you sent me are clear as can be. There's nothing nothing that would make me suspicious of them. Well, I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I, I'm gonna scare a lot of people or make them think that I'm uh, uh, a newbie schmuck, but I'm not afraid of mold. If a cigar has a couple <laughs> spots of mold on it. It doesn't bother me in the slightest. If there's mold in the blend or in the bunch, uh, or it has an odor to it, or it's a funky color, that's when I'll have an issue. But you know what? If there's a little spot on a wrapper, 
I wipe it off and I smoke a good cigar. It doesn't really bother me. Yeah. Now, same. I, same thing. I control my humidor. I I don't have an outbreak. I rarely see it on any cigars at all. Um, and if I do see it in a box, that box is quarantined. It goes into a heavy duty plastic bag. But um, which, quite frankly, when you think about it, might exacerbate the situation. But nonetheless, it. Uh, I don't know. It's not something that ever scares me. Same here. That that if you remember a little over a year ago, I opened up all these boxes of cigars for the move, and Crown heads, uh, yeah. a box of four cakes from Crown Heads. It was just slathered with mold, and I didn't reintroduce them to the general population. But I smoked an entire box of molded cigars in a week's time to get rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's maybe, maybe not something the Surgeon General would recommend, but that's what I did. That's all right. Once again, it, you know, the things we do for humanity. <laughs> well, I uh, I shared my anticipated uh, tasting notes for this cigar, but do you have anything to add before we bust in the notes here? We've been recording for a good bit of time. Shall we uh, move on or is there anything that we should be knowing about? No, uh, the only thing I would add to it is the, uh, you know, I was describing this pretty heavily vanilla earlier and still, still is, but maybe as I think more about it, it's maybe a little less sweet than what a lot of people would think of as, as vanilla. Um, I, I can't even think of the name. There's a, there's an old fashioned chewing gum that, this reminds me of I can't dang I can't recall the name of that gum for the life of me, but it's kind of kind of vanilla-ish, but maybe something vanilla flavored that has considerably less sugar than normal. Hmm. I'm I'm digging it quite a bit so far. My dad used to smoke smoke. My dad used to chew an old school gum that I. I mean, I must have been five years old. It was probably 1984 or something. Yeah, um, that's real old school. <laughs> uh, well, all right, it was 30 years ago. That, that qualifies as old school. Okay. Um, that uh, was called Bowman's, I believe. And Beeman's. he said, I, Beeman's, okay. He always said, oh, you wouldn't like it. It's not that sweet. But I have no idea if it was vanilla, but there you go. That's the only thing uh, I can help you with. Tea berry? I I have no idea. I couldn't even tell you what tea berry tasted like these days. Hmm. Well, it tastes like um, tea berry. Yeah, but tea berry is a is a plant. It's a plant, but it's has a different melaleuca. That's where it comes from, which is a giant pyramid scheme in the U.S. As far as I'm concerned, they have all these melaleuca <laughs> products that they sell people and. You get so many people to sell them for you, and you get a portion of their sales, and they get people. And, but the plant itself, it, this is a rabbit trail you never would have thought you'd going to get off on. The plant itself was brought to South Florida when they were trying to dry up the Everglades to develop them because a, a, a full-grown oak tree will take about 250 gallons of water a day, and a melaleuca tree will take about 1,500 gallons of water per day. And so they brought it to South Florida and it just took over and the state of Florida has spent millions and millions and millions of dollars trying to eradicate 
uh, Melaleuca, and they they develop species specific uh, not pesticide, herbicides to kill this tree and not kill everything else around it. And they just drive trucks down the side of the road, spraying these trees, trying to get rid of them because they, they just sprout up and they grow in these big islands, this big mass of trees. And it, it's a big mess, but it's an interesting plant. Hmm. So this is uh, only an item that's going to impact uh, the segment of our listening audience that watches live. Um, but I've just received a warning from Google in our chat room that I have posted too many times in a minute. Oh, that that's, there's a setting somewhere we can change that, but I can't do it from here. Uh, I remember seeing that. I just left it at the default, whatever the default is. I believe I did six in a minute. Holy crap. You're filling up the screen. <laughs> hmm. Diamond crown. Boom. Bastard. LOL. Um, <laughs> dude. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. I'm trying to help a brother out who's looking for what to smoke tonight. Cohiba <laughs> uh, Figro. I'm, I'm trying to give him it's Edmund. He's looking for something to smoke. I told him Diamond Crown. Then I told him Padrone. Now I'm telling him Cohiba Siglo. And, uh, yeah, you're giving him too many options. Oh, and he chose the one option that another guy jumped in. Not any of my three. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh, 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 PMM. Oh, that's <laughs> Officer Paul. Yeah, it oh, is. I can tell by his avatar. Oh, that was a mean one. He says, I'm learning to type as much as I talk. <laughs> oh, gosh. I love our chat room. I don't I don't want to do the show. I just want to sit in our chat room when they make fun of me. Uh, yeah. Well, it, folks, if you listen to this show and think that Kip should talk the, the, uh, the lion's share and I should talk the lesser amount you would fit right in with the guys in our chat room they love giving me crap <laughs> <sighs> the only reason yeah. we have people come here live make fun of us i think that is the case shall we uh bust in the news or is there anything else you'd care to talk about with this behike no we can jump into some news I'm hearing a whistle when I talk. I think I may be echoing a little bit. But not, I don't know what to do for that. I hear like a smoke detector in the background. No, that's... I don't know what that is. 24 hours a day, it will do that for a couple of minutes and then stop. I don't know if somebody has an appliance or what, but I hear the same thing. Carbon monoxide? I don't know. I, I, have, I don't know where it's coming from or anything. I just know that I hear it all the time. I freaking love that we put out a podcast about cigars and we're talking about a beep that's happening in Santiago, Dominican Republic. <laughs> Once every day, nobody knows what it is. We're wondering if your neighbor is getting poisoned slowly by carbon monoxide. That's all. We had um, automatic rifles being fired off here a few weeks ago in the middle of the night. Not sure where that came from either. Oh, that's lovely. There is a military installation just about a half mile from here and I'm trusting that's where that came from. <laughs> but I don't know. Well, 
how about uh, you read uh, the news you've got going on, and I will offer some editorial uh, jab-type comments. Cool. Well, this we're starting off with the big, big ticket story for today. This just kind of happened today, and I don't know that it's expected, but uh, I certainly was not surprised too terribly bad. Um, and what we're talking about is the uh, more changes in the um, what American citizens can do, buy, and bring back into the country in terms of Cuban products. Um, for those of you who tend to enjoy Cuban cigars, Cuban rum, whatever, coffee, whatever other products, <laughs> and haven't been able to bring them back, or at least in, uh, in the quantities you'd like, uh, the tighter restrictions on those goods uh, that went through, I guess, going on a couple of years ago now, where you could bring them back uh, up to the normal customs amount, with the exception of tobacco and alcohol, which had more restrictive requirements of under $100 worth in the past, that $100 limit's coming off, and Cuban goods can now be brought back in the same quantities and the same uh, duties as other countries. Um, and additionally, you can now bring them back from a third-party country, uh, which is another change because formerly, oh, over the past two years, you had to actually travel to Cuba to bring back Cuban goods. You could not uh, go to a different country, buy them, and bring them back with you. So, you know, there's a lot of bluster and hubbub and social media. Some manufacturers and other folks in the industry are irritated that this was some slap in the face, but it's not, it doesn't change anything. It's, there's still no commercial sales, and there's, it's just making the rules for Cuban goods the same as every other country. If you wanted to bring back Nicaraguan cigars, the limits are the same as now the Cuban, uh, Cuban cigars. But I, I don't know. I don't necessarily, you know, unless you are of Cuban descent and have people and family issues tied up in the, the government there. I'm not sure why some of the other folks were so irritated. They were acting as if it was a, you know, a threat to the industry. You're bringing these cigars in untaxed. You're not charging it. Well, it's all the same rules as any other country. If you bring Nicaraguan cigars in for your personal use, you bring them back untaxed up to the, the limit for duties. And, uh, um, I don't see what the, the big deal is personally. I, uh, well, I'll agree with you on that. I don't see what the big deal is at all about that. Um, I feel like this is people who are worried about the fact that the Cuban market is perhaps competition that seems as if it's becoming more and more likely to uh, be a mainstay here in the U.S. Uh, somewhat soon. And so they're just kind of irrationally worried about that. That would be my main guess. Um, but it, it, quite frankly, I, you know what? It's even less of a point because of how easy it's been to get Cuban products in this country over the years anyways. Yeah. and, and Bands off if you're coming in from another country, you know? And I, and I included that in there because people tend to jump the gun on these things and uh, put the last line I put in the notes is people are still asking if they can buy Cuban cigars at their local shop. And the answer to that is still no. There's no uh, legal pathway to bring cigars into the U.S., Cuban cigars into the U.S. for 
for sale or for a commercial enterprise. You, and you cannot order them online uh, legally. It's done <laughs> pretty regularly, but it's not not legal um, to order them from other countries and have them brought in. You have to have a person personally leave the country, buy them, and come back with them. And my understanding has been that it is not even legal to have someone else acquire cigars for you and then give them to you. You cannot acquire, or or for the longest time, you could not acquire Cuban cigars legally, be it with this $100 uh, return, and then have those cigars change hands. Okay. If that makes sense, which is just... Another facet of this that I think people have often misunderstood. Right. But perhaps not the most uh, important side note, but another item that I think people just are overlooking. It's not as if this is creating a secondary market here. Right. There's still no, like I said, no legal pathway to bring them in commercially and sell them or give them away, I suppose, too. But. I don't know. I mean, it, it changes some things for consumers who travel outside the U.S., but for the normal everyday Joe walking into his local shop, it changes nothing. So in the chat room, the new chat room on YouTube now, um, Arc Cigars said that, is it $800 value or 100 cigars? And then beyond that, there's a 4% tax rate. Yep, that's it. Same as anything else. Up to $800, you bring in duty-free. After 800, you pay a 4%, and I'm not sure if that becomes 4% of the total or 4% of what's above 800. I've never tried to enter the country with more than $800 worth of goods. That's always interesting to me. I mean, who is associating a value to that? Um, and literally, what is the legal precedent that if uh, um, a customs enforcement agent says, nope, you need to prove that that is less than $800 worth of value of those cigars, that it is your responsibility to have a receipt available. That's how it works here. Um, There are a couple of services where I could have things shipped down. I don't typically use them because we pay by the pound to ship things here in addition to the regular shipping charges and it gets very expensive. But uh, if I order something, under $200, I'm okay. And, and I need to include have an invoice included in there that shows the value. If it's over $200, you pay a tax on the entire amount. And that tax could be anywhere from the standard 18% that's on everything uh, up to 40% or more on like electronics and such things. Dang, that's big. It is, but uh, we have not bought any electronics here for this reason. The, the, if I go buy a TV in the Dominican Republic, it's going to be at least double what that TV would cost in the States every time or more. It, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it almost seems as if it's encouraging a supplemental industry, but I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm, uh, now, it just always <laughs> seems interesting to me. Things are not always enforced to the letter of the law here. We walked into this country with a suitcase with the 
TV we brought down with us and all of our normal electronics, and nobody raised an eyebrow. Technically, we should have been charged taxes for that, and everything was out there available for view, just nobody seemed to care. Wow. And I have come into this country with hundreds of cigars. <laughs> I'm sure you're not the only one, though. I mean, how many cigar manufacturers have brought back carry-on filled with things that they're trying out or testing or that they're wanting to go over? You know, yeah. I mean, that, that seems like an incredibly common thing. Yeah. I seem to remember John Drew. When I was the first – no – yeah, the first time I went to Drew Estate, um, when I came back to Miami, John Drew was on the flight with us. Um, and I seem to remember he had this yellow, like, satchel, like an Indiana Jones leather satchel-looking thing. And it was just loaded with dirty rats. <laughs> this was probably 2009, maybe 2010, early 2009, 2010. I mean, just absolutely loaded to the brim, unable to be zipped. I think it was Dirty Rats. I don't know. Maybe it was L40s or something, but uh, it was uh, it was full. And I don't think he had any issues, but no, that was Nicaragua. So When I flew this summer, even back from Vegas to, to Georgia, and then from Maryland back to Santiago, Going to the TSA both times, they flagged my carry-on. Their little machine said too much organic material. <laughs> and they <laughs> opened up everything and went through all the cigars. And there was a lot of them. And the, the last time I went to Vegas for the show in 2013, the put my carry-on on the... Actually, mine and Christy both carry-on on the belt, and it's going through the machine. And I see it stop and back up. <laughs> and we got the other side and the guy said what's in those things I said they're cigars he said oh, yeah I don't guess I'd check them either <laughs> go on through wow I uh, the only time I ever got flagged was I had a, a you know thinking back perhaps it wasn't the smartest move but I had a uh, a tube like a, an aluminum or steel tube probably nine inches long and it looked like a shotgun shell uh huh. I mean, it looked identical to a shotgun shell, but it's it was an artillery a, shell. <laughs> yeah, it was fully metal, and the the top would would screw off, and it was lined with cedar on the inside, and it was a cigar humidor, a travel humidor. Well, it apparently didn't X-ray very well because it was solid metal, um, and uh, so that was the only time that anybody ever checked anything with cigars that I can think of on TSA. Now I've gotten customs checked, but mm-hmm. not. TSA. When we moved here, we made a, a, a trip previous to that, but while after we knew we were moving, and I brought down as many cigars as I could carry and left them in coolers. Uh, coolers. And then when we actually moved, I did the same thing, but with the, the 40 count travel humidors from Zycar or Cigar Caddy, whoever's yeah, making yeah. those things, if you take the trays out of them, they'll hold about 100 cigars. Yeah, so got rid of all the trays, filled up three of those, and then I had this slightly smaller Pelican case that 20 years ago we had bought an underwater camera for diving, and it came in that case, and the camera was long gone, but I kept the case. And the um, 
x-rays could see through the cigar caddy ones with no problem, but that yellow, whatever high density material they used for that one, it could not, the x-ray could not see through it. And it was like, it's plastic. And they had wow. to open it up. They took everything out and went all through all of it. Wow. That's interesting. I'm really surprised by that. Yeah, we were too. Well, I guess, you know, better they find out and <laughs> than not, I guess, but yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's not better. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to get into a debate about, I, I don't need to force myself into a debate about airport security. <laughs> yeah. Well, this next one is an interesting little uh, uh, side story here. What do you think? It is. I actually am a big fan of this particular line, uh, the CAO Amazon. Uh, it's coming back, and we'll be back on the shelves again in the next few weeks. It should be by the end of this month. And I put into the notes, and this is absolutely true, that of all the CAO releases that I could think of, I can't think of any other CAO cigar either before or since General bought them that, that I like better. This was, it was a wonderful cigar. Uh, it came out originally in 2014. It was just a, a limited run and, you know, it's hard to wade through marketing and know what's real or not. But the, the legend surrounding this cigar is it's a, a very rare tobacco called Braganza, which is grown in Brazil somewhere deep in the dark forest of the Amazon and it, it uh, the, the spiel has it that it's only harvested every three years and I'm not sure why that would be um, and then it's a difficult journey to float it down a river to get it where it's going and uh, you know, eventually get it to market and so it came out in 2014 it's now coming out again uh, this month uh, they did not talk, talk about any kind of Numbers, I don't know how many are going to be available. It is supposedly the same blend as the last time, which is an Ecuadorian Sumatran wrapper, Nicaraguan binder, and the filler being Nicaraguan and this Brazilian leaf. Um, it's going to be a little more expensive this time. Uh, last time it was about nine bucks a stick. Um, retail, MSRP, uh, we were buying them quite a bit cheaper than that in Tampa, actually. And I somehow missed the, the train when these came out the first time that it was going to be so limited because they seemed to be plentiful in Tampa. I wasn't thinking for the future. I was just buying them and smoking them and suddenly they were gone and they're like, yeah, we're not only gone here, they're gone everywhere. And so I missed them. And uh, so if this is the same cigar, I'm in, I would like to grab a few of these at least to enjoy as time goes by. What uh, what was the time frame that they were originally? 2014, summer 2014, if I remember right. Remember that? Hmm. that was CAO control, or uh, the general control at that point, correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah, because Crown Heads have been around since 2012, and Huber left after General bought them out. Hmm. Hmm. Well, I... I, uh, eh, eh, what do I say? I've had, I have had really good Amazons. I, I mean, very good Amazons. Ones that I thought were spectacular cigars. And then I've had crap Amazon. 
<laughs> so I don't know. I, 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 I don't know what to think here. You know, there's a lot of really good cigars that I've had that I would love to have again. But when I've had really terrible versions of them, and I don't necessarily think that it's just a, oh, well, it's a biological and sometimes organic products are different. They have uh, the terroir changes from year to year because of different environmental impact or stimulus. And so you get different things. I, I just, I don't know. I'm just a little too pessimistic about this cigar. So I'm in, intrigued. Hmm. Somebody would like to send me some of them. I wouldn't be upset to give them a try, but I don't know if I can justify going out and buying some. Oh, I, I would definitely give them a try just because I thankfully missed out on the crappy ones first time around. I had a good experience <laughs> and I've got a, a good number of them. Hmm. Well, we got good listeners. You never know what will head our way. <laughs> hint, hint, nudge, nudge. <laughs> ah, well, and for our final news item of the night, this is, yeah. uh, this is a slightly more personal news story, but I'm sure most people will recognize the name here. Yeah, Gabriel Alvarez, uh, who is married to the lady who sold Craig her on buying a purple Blanbera. <laughs> I can't get away from that, can I? <laughs> oh boy! No, Gabriel. Um, I knew him a little bit. I, I know him well. I only visited the shop a couple times, but years ago he owned a shop in Miami called Neighborhood Humidor, and he's worked for a couple of companies. Uh, over the years since, uh, most recently and before this story, was Maya Selva, which is a French company, and I do not believe I've ever smoked their cigars, to be honest with you. Um, <clears throat> but since our last show, he resigned from Maya Selva and has taken a job as director of sales for a brand I am entirely unfamiliar with called Casa Cuevas, which is a uh, house of caves. Uh, Cuevas are caves, I'm not sure where that name comes from. Um, I was not familiar with this at all, but they apparently have a factory here in Santiago uh, that, again, not familiar with. Um, and I've already forgotten the name of the factory because it's not Casa Cuevas. Uh, but they uh, historically, traditionally, or in the past, whatever you want to say, have made cigars for Tarano. They made some of Sam Lucia's blends. They make Gurkha. Um, and they, in the past, have specialized in making cigars for other people. That seems to be their niche um, before, but I guess they're kind of introducing their own uh, name into the mix uh, with the Casa Cuevas line, and Gabriel's going to be their uh, director of sales, so good luck to him. Yeah. I don't, I don't really know, like I said, I don't know anything about it. I don't, really want to investigate this factory a little bit. I'm not a huge Gurkha fan. I am a fan of a lot of Sam's blends. Um, and I've enjoyed some Taranos over the years, although it's not, not a brand I typically reach for just a whole lot these days. Oh, here it is, Tabacalera Las Lavas, uh, where their factory is here in Santiago. I'm not sure if it's in – I don't know if it's in Santiago proper or in Tamboril. 
or in one of the sauna francas here in town. I, I don't know where it's at even at this point, but I'm going to check them out sometime in the near future. Hmm. Well, I'll uh, be interested to hear your thoughts. I, for somebody who's not the biggest fan of new or rare or different cigars, I, I'm always very interested in true Mon Pa or maybe Mon Pa isn't the right term, but true small time guys in far off places. I, that sounds horribly parabo- parabolic. No, not, not parabolic. Uh, ah, crap. I can't think of the right word. Whatever. It sounds way too sentimental. How's that? But <laughs> it, it, it's, it's more that there are diamonds in the rough out there, not just the new marketing spiel or the new thing that's been released to try to make somebody some uh, fast cash. And yeah. talk about pessimism, that's a horrible thing for me to say, but I think I, the point comes across. I love finding little mom and pop operations that make a good product. However, there tends to be a significant portion of mom and pop operations that don't necessarily make a good product, whether it's because they don't have the buying power to get good leave or, or whatever. Uh, it just seems like it makes those the ones that do it really well stand out that much more when you find them. <laughs> it makes me treasure those little operations. Oh yeah, no doubt. I uh, I'm checking up on our chat room. It sounds as if perhaps somebody was mentioning something about those Amazons. So that might be a nice little. Uh, Nice little hookup for us. We might have to get some stuff sent down to you if that's the case. Well, I got to send stuff down to you when, if and when Mike goes down in January. I, I got to get you another package. I have somebody coming down in December now. Oh, you do? Oh, we'll have to talk about that. If that's a definite, let's go that route. It is. Tickets are bought. Oh, no joke. Oh, yeah. good. Excellent. Well, yeah, let's, let's talk about that uh, after we're done recording tonight, if my bladder can hold out. <laughs> Well, I'll talk to you through the internet, whether your bladder holds out or not. <laughs> well, I, I'm about two-thirds of the way through my second liter of water this evening, and uh, probably two fingers, three fingers of rum. So we'll see how she goes. Well, cool. Well, we're pushing 11 o'clock. We want to go ahead and talk a little bit more about this behike? Yeah, I uh, I had some minor comments uh, to open us up as to what I expected, but you gave the actual tasting notes that you had experienced. So why don't I jump in here first, if you don't mind? Um, Absolutely. I am begging for some of that citrus right now. Something lighter, tartar, acidic that, that will... <laughs> lighten the load on my palate because I am without question feeling fatigue. Um, I, I don't know if you've got it, but that earthy flavor is just, it is the long finish in this cigar. That earth comes through on that. I, I get the, I, I don't want to say sweet vanilla flavor, but I get a, a vanilla flavor that is, perhaps not very sugary in the the smoke, in the immediate smoke. And then as that finish from that vanilla dies out, that earth picks up and it is all over my hard palate. I mean, just all over my hard palate, almost to the point where I, I 
I'm getting a little worried that I'm not going to be able to go much past the three inch mark in this cigar. It's just, it's building and building and building. And I feel like I almost need to scrape my, the top of my mouth. Yeah, it is dense. It's like drinking international coffee. Those little powder you put in the drink and it just covers and coats every part of your palate. It, it's actually, it reminds me a lot of the sensation of drinking espresso. I've been drinking a lot more espresso recently and uh, I tend to get a palate coating in a very similar spot on my hard palate, uh, a little bit more on my soft palate too, but man, oh man, um, it uh, without question is dirty on the finish. Yeah. I'm trying to manage a mute button here. I have a neighbor that just pulled up to their gate, and normally they will blow the horn in just a minute. <laughs> no problemo. I, uh, you know, Kip, if you haven't realized, I don't have a problem talking on air. What? I'm not sure if you know that. <laughs> it, uh, you know, Zedman in the in the chat room said that the profile is just so rich. That's absolutely it. Um, and it's probably why I enjoy the 52s so much. So I don't think I gave the actual Vitola sizes. The Bahike 52 is 4 and 11 sixteenths. So it's it's shorter than a Robusto and a little fatter than a Robusto. Um, it, it smokes so well because it's the perfect length for me for this blend. An hour and a half, done the cigar has finished you are ready for it to be done and it's given you everything that you want it to have um there's a little bit more variation in that blend i don't think that it goes from being nice sweet rich and deep to even deeper and less sweet i think that it just kind of it has a transition but perhaps it's got a little bit more citrus and it doesn't go as deep so the 52s to me at that little less than four and three quarter length the 52 ring, um, that's really the sweet spot of this blend. The 54 is a five and five eighths, roughly. Um, and the 56 is that six and a half inch long version. So it's interesting to me to think that uh, this is only five ring gauges larger than a double Corona, but it's an inch and an eighth shorter. But this feels like such a commitment in comparison to a double Corona, a traditional Cuban double Corona. Um, I would almost say that a double Corona is easier for me to smoke. I can take more of it. Yeah. I'm kind of with you on that. The, the ring, it makes a big difference to me. And I don't, <laughs> I don't begrudge people who like bigger rings. It's just not, not the sweet spot for me. Mm. Well, earth and beanie flavor, which isn't bad, but, uh, you know, I um, I retrohale a lot, uh, n- nearly every puff. And this one, this cigar, the retrohale, just started having a, a real, a, a significant dose of spice in the nose, a little tingle in the nose. It hasn't had that in the entire time until now. You know, I have not been retrohaling this very much. Um primarily I have not been retrohaling it very much because of the fact that it has been very daunting. I mean, very daunting. Um, And so I've been afraid of that retro, but let me, let me uh, see if I can 
continue to clean my palate here and maybe uh, it starts retro a little bit. And then after what cigars we've been smoking, uh, I can give some additional thoughts on that. Right now, it's enough of a tingle that if I took two or three puffs in rapid succession and blew it out my nose like that, I would sneeze. I mean, it gives a, a twinge through the nose for sure. And it, and it has not done that until the past couple of minutes. Hmm. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, that's making my eyes water. That, that much, was a, huh? Yeah, that, that was a big puff, though. I let a lot out of my mouth and thought that I had let enough, but... <laughs> ah. Boy, that'll be worth uh, checking out on the video to see ah, how painful that looks. <laughs> ah. Ah. What you been smoking lately? You know, I uh, I was in North Carolina for almost a week, uh, almost all last week, actually, and uh, I just brought a few cigars with me. I brought some of those Kellners. The remaining two Kellners that uh, uh, I believe you sourced for me, if I recall correctly. Um, I can't believe you still got those. Yep, just two left. And uh, I, I'm a hoarder for my cigars, man. You know that. I would be, except I tend to smoke them as fast as I buy them. Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, that is that is a tingle and not the good kind. Um, so I had, uh, some of those Kellners, which I did not actually smoke any of. I had some of those Kellners with me, I should say, but I also had some of the Oida Monterey, um, Añejados. So, uh, Abanos S.A., um, I would imagine it was Abanos S.A. I don't believe that Cuba Tabac had their hand in this, um, they had the brilliant idea in 2007, 2008 to start <clears throat> putting cigars aside for the potential future Cuban market, um, the opening of the Cuban market. So there was a bonded warehouse on the outside of Havana that uh, um, had a number of cigars kept uh, in it to be released at a future date. So, all these cigars, and this was a Partigas Anejado, a Romeo y Julieta Anejado, Oeda Monterey Anejado, a Monte Cristo Anejado. Um, and uh, these were, were held in this bonded warehouse for years. And then just last year in 2015, the first releases came out. I believe it was a Monte Cristo, a Partigas, and that Romeo. And then this year, the Oeda Monterey was subsequently released um so it these cigars basically are my understanding is is really nothing more than just eight-year-old cigars that weren't shipped out of cuba for eight years uh they have the box date of october october 08 we'll have to check on the month um on them and then a uh, revisado so revisado is an additional secondary stamp that goes on the bottom of cigars, on the bottom of boxes of cigars, if they have sat in a factory, or in this case, in the bonded warehouse, prior to being shipped out 
typically cigars are uh, box are stamped with a box code when they leave the factory for distribution. That is my understanding. These were not that case. So they had the Revisado stamp on them to state that, yes, that was when they were boxed and should have been shipped, but they were not actually distributed. So uh, this is a new release from this year, despite having an 08 box code. Um, and I find them to be breathtaking, just perfect. I love Oida de Monterey's. I have had so many great ones. They do not seem to stand up to age uh, very well, long-term age, 10, 15 years. But these at eight makes me think that they are in the perfect sweet spot. It's a beautiful size. Uh, the Hermoso number four is a little bit longer and a little bit narrower than a Robusto. It's, um, I believe, five inches exactly by 48 rather than four and seven eighths by uh, 50, which is a typical Robusto. And I think that it's one of the better Cuban cigars I've had uh, in a year at least. Wow. Yeah, I'm going to send you some of those. I uh, tried, uh, I don't remember which line it was. They had some Añejados at the local shop here. I don't, I don't remember which it was. I don't, I it was not magnificent. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It just, it was twice the price of the regular line and didn't seem to be that much better to me. These cigars were $11 a piece. So not a, not a terrible purchase price. Um, you know, not cheap for uh, basically a Robusto, but <clears throat> I thought they were very good. They had a terrible aroma. The aroma smelled slightly musty, and I was worried. But oh. uh, the cigars were terrific, and individually they had a great aroma. Cool. I can dig it. Yes, sir. Well, I tried a new Cuban cigar this week based on your advice. I was a little bit uh, hesitant just because of the pricing on them was was enough to make me think twice about it just to try something I had not tried before. <laughs> the budget's not what it used to be for cigars, and everyone counts. But based on your high praise, I did go back and give them a try. And then, oh, I didn't even say what it was. It's the Diplomatico. I had the band laying here, but it's going now. Um I thought it was. I put put a picture in the forum and said that it it was it lived up to your praise. It was very good. It was not what I was expecting. I, I guess I had seen some input that they were maybe a little punchy, uh, a little bolder than maybe I would have. I, I was expecting them to be a little more uh, aggressive, and this was very approachable. It, it was not heavy-handed at all in terms of flavor and not really strong with the, with the nicotine, not really heavy uh, in its strength until the last little bit, you know, and I smoked it down to almost nothing. Um, but it was very good. It was the number two. I think so. It was one of the ones you mentioned. I liked it. Good, good. It, it was suave throughout in flavor and in strength until that last little bit. I did notice a, a, a sharp uptick in the last inch or so. Well, I I like Diplomatico. I think that a lot of people tend to write them off um, 
to me, Diplomatico is it's typically regarded as a second tier, maybe even third tier Cuban cigar. It's kind of along the lines in praise or in fans of a St. Louis Ray or uh, a Juan Lopez. Um, yeah, probably a second tier. I don't think it's third tier. Third tier are your Jose Lupedra, Guantanamera, um, uh, and a number of other kind of almost machine-made value brand cigars. But the, the Diplomatico is, I don't know, it's, it's, in so many of my experiences with it, it has had the essence of what I love in the Monte Cristo blend. Um, kind of the, the mocha flavor that goes along with it. It's not coffee. It's not creamy. It's just this, and it's not chocolatey. It's just this combination of all three, which forms kind of a harmonious fourth flavor. Um, I really dig it. I, I like them a lot. I think that they were, if I remember correctly, they were originally created in the seventies or eighties for the French market, specifically for the French distributor. Um, based on a variation of the Monte Cristo blend. I believe that that over the years has <clears throat> veered off and it's not so much a, a typical um, uh, Monte Cristo light as it perhaps once was, but um, it does still have some of those characteristics though. It's gone enough in a different direction that it's an individual cigar that just has things in common with uh, with other brands, much like uh, Ramon Ionis has aspects in common to Partigas, or um, Trinidad has things in common to Cohiba. They're not the same cigar by any stretch of the imagination, but they're siblings, perhaps. So, and uh, I I like the Diplo a lot. I did too, and, and I never would have confused it with a, a Monte Cristo. It, it was not at all that dark, sweet, cocoa kind of thing I get from the Monte Cristos. In particular, that number two, we've smoked a number of times now. It, 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 was, it was lighter. In the, in, I don't even like using the word lighter anymore. It, it was more subdued, I suppose. Well, less heavy-handed, you said. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. All right. Um, Maybe you didn't say less heavy-handed, but you said... It was not heavy-handed. It heavy was handed. not heavy-handed, yeah. yeah. Let me, well, I got Go ahead. I was just going to say, let me read the, the real quick uh, synopsis on the Diplomatico brand um, in my Cuban Cigar Encyclopedia. Uh, <laughs> it uh, was introduced in 1966, wow, as a less expensive version of the Monte Cristo, targeting the French market. Uh, ironically, it's now sought uh, by some people because it has a much smaller production and they are priced similar to Monte Cristo. Um, it accounts in 2000, it accounted for 0.2% of the export share of Abano SA's total market. Um, and they, are, they taste similar to Monte Cristo, but characteristically milder. They are more suave. They feature an especially. This feature is especially obvious in the number two. The French cigar culture traditionally prefers milder cigars, and the milder blends might be specifically designed to suit the French taste. So, 
that is that is the the basic comments as to the overall uh, characteristics of Diplomatico from the pen name Minran Ni in in Illustrated Encyclopedia of Post Revolution Havana cigars. Now, this is a fifteen year old take on Diplomaticos, but I have found it to still be somewhat um, correct. The last box of Diplomaticos that I had consistently was from 2006. It was a box of number twos, and uh, I thought that it lined up pretty well. So maybe there's been a blend change since then. I'd be interested to find out. I have not had any newer production than that. So, cool. Glad that you had it. Glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, I liked it. Well, I had another run on here that was not quite so suave, although it was still quite enjoyable. Uh, and it's from a non-Cuban line. It's from <laughs> Quesada, although under the Fonseca moniker, under the name. Um, and they partnered up with uh, the Placentias. Actually, this cigar, although coming from Quesada, is manufactured by Placentia outside the Dominican Republic and in Nicaragua. And it's a Nicaraguan puro. And I put it on, I didn't put much in the notes except, wow, what a difference a Vitola makes because I smoked the Robusto in this line a couple of weeks ago and thought it was maybe a little rough around the edges for even for my taste. And I tend to like a lot of potent Nicaraguan cigars. But this little petite Corona, which was a fantastic size and it just smoked beautifully. It, it had what I now would call classic Nicaraguan flavor, but not old school 70s kind of Nicaraguan thing that, you know, 10 to 15 years ago or when, when Pepin was first getting started out and first putting out uh, some of his early original lines, it's that kind of flavor to me. It was bold, but not brash. It had a lot of that, uh, uh, spice a lot of a lot of spice for that kind of that size cigar, but it was because it was so small and so short it never got overwhelming. It didn't kick me in the pants just because it was a little petite Corona. It was just a friggin' enjoyable little cigar and very inexpensive. You know, less than five bucks a piece, I guess. I I think it's one of the uh, even though it's not made. Specifically by Quesada, I think it's one of the one of their better cigars out right now. I've only had a couple of them to judge, but they were both very good. As, what is what is this? I'm sorry, the Fonseca Nicaragua. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. And I I was not that big a fan of the Robusto. It was it was just it was a little brash for me. But this little Petit Corona was fantastic. If you like what Pepin when when Pepin first put out the he and Jaime put out the My Father cigars. And the number one, which was a Robusto, I loved that cigar. They at times would overwhelm me, but I loved the flavors that came out of it. It was sometimes just a little too strong for me. And it reminded me of that, uh, of you know, six, seven years ago, whenever the My Fathers first hit the market. And I just adored that number one. And this, I found a lot of the same characteristics in this cigar. Just on a smaller scale. Hmm. Sorry, I'm uh, I'm indulging 
I'm indulging the chat room. Not indulging the chat room. That's condescending as hell. I'm involving myself in the chat room. <laughs> you're indulging them. <laughs> you're, you're gracing them with your presence. I, I am gracing the chat room with my presence. And damn it, they are lucky for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll go ahead and talk about the last one I got on the list. Yeah, you do that. I need to uh, try to man up and retrohale a couple more times. I've been avoiding it. And you can see what's left of one of these here on the screen for those of you in the chat. Actually, you probably can't because my friggin' camera's not going to want to focus. But uh, took a trip over to La Aurora. Their factory in Tamburillo has a duty-free shop where you can buy tax-free if you have a U.S. passport. Presumably because they will believe you're traveling through and don't have to pay Dominican taxes. So I went there with Michael Stewart when he came down and we got some BMEs, which are their brick and mortar exclusive line that they made. And they were, they were good cigars. I had some mixed feelings because they weren't super consistent for me, but overall I enjoyed them a lot. And they were they came in less than three bucks a stick buying them at that store, which I thought was pretty dang amazing. I went over there, and apparently when we bought those in January, they were on special or on sale or whatever because they were no longer anywhere near that price. And I checked out another line. This lady said, well, we have these. They're, they're on sale right now. They had them out on the table. And it's the Leon Jimenez series or 300 series which I can't just find a whole ton of information about. Uh, certainly not recent information. I don't even know if these are commonly marketed at the moment. They were just in the shop there. And I thought, how bad can they be for three bucks a stick? And I found out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm teasing. They're, it's not a disaster, but what I've, I've been through several of these now and the middle portion of the cigar is great. It's sweet. It, it, it's interesting. But the first few minutes are very, very vegetal. They taste green to me. And then by the time I get to that final third, it's already starting to communicate to me that this cigar is done. It, you know, it gets a little bit ashy, a little bit, uh, a little bit brash again to use that word. But the middle section, if you could just get that middle section, I'd be all over it but it's, it's disappointing to get to have to struggle through a portion to get the good part, to have to put it down uh, early because I'm not enjoying it anymore. I, uh, I, I'm not exactly, what do I want to say here? I'm not exactly certain if this was the first or second. Um, no, yes, I am. It was not the first major premium cigar that I had ever smoked, but it was the first major premium cigar that I ever smoked a lot of and sought out, uh, that being the Leon of Menace. Um, I, I dug those back in the day, and my sister got married in 2000, in May of 2000, and I was going bat poop crazy leading up to her wedding for Leon Jimenez that I was able to get through Thompson cigars. Um, they were just fantastic to me back then. Well, and La Aurora makes some other fine cigars. This yeah, is just yeah. not one that lines up with my particular preferences. 
not one that I would commit to another box of. I like the Guillermo Leon, that whole series they make. They make a few of those now. I really like that BME, and even the ones when I say they're inconsistent, it was inconsistent, but for the most part they were good. Um, just they would differ from one to the next. Um, just this one was just just not my cup of tea. This will be one I share with everybody that comes to my house in the near future. Was it the Guillermo Leone? Were those the cigars that? Um, gosh, was the Dog Watch Party in two thousand eleven? Twelve, two thousand twelve. Were those the ones we were given like early releases of? The Guillermo Leon. I don't know if it was Guillermo Leon. It it was something was Family Reserve or something had a red band on it. Yeah, did have a red band. I it was somebody's name. I thought it was something. It wasn't Leone Menez, obviously, but it was no, it wasn't Guillermo Leon. Guillermo Leon. Yeah, Fernando Leone. That sounds right. I think that's it. <clears throat> I think you are correct. Huh. Yeah, I, I was never a huge fan of those. That's what I thought you were speaking of. But the Guillermo Leones, those, those I'm not remembering much about. Fill me in real quick, if you don't mind. I don't know even know what's in them. They have black and silver with a touch of red on the, the packaging and I just have had them a number of times over the years and never had anything negative to say about them and I like them but I don't know what's in them as far as the blend goes or anything like that they're part of that reserve group of cigars that they sell Mm. I tell you what else I like that's what's that I don't even know who makes it Miami Cigar sells these cigars and they never did super well because the packaging was weird. It was Art Deco kind of packaging that came in what looked like an aluminum oh, yeah. box. The Art I Deco. loved those. Yeah, the Art Deco. Well, a person within the Miami Cigar Organization, who will go nameless, sent me some of those unbanded, had me smoke them, make notes, tell them what I thought about them. Absolutely loved them. They were the little bitty coffee break size which is like a really short Robusto. And then he told me what they were, and I was blown away because in my mind, I didn't like Art Deco, and I just smoked five of them and loved every one of them and wanted more of them. I I liked them, but I liked the 107 much more than those. Yeah, that 107 Maduro they put out, I liked a lot. It was a little harder to come by. Great day in the morning. Dropped a cigar in my lap. Oh, well, that was perfect timing because I muted myself and sneezed at the exact same moment. <laughs> Excuse me. Salud. Thank you. Oh, cigar in your lap, eh? See? That feels good in shorts. Yeah, feels good on a bare belly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I uh, I have tested this retrohale, and I gotta tell you, this is not a cigar I will retrohale. Really? No, no, my goodness, it is painful. You need to you need to open your sinuses in such a way 
that you don't get too much smoke passing through them, kind of hitting the walls of your sinuses in order to for it to not rip them to shreds. But then while you're doing that, you lose your ability to taste. You can barely get that little bit extra that's there from the retro without just paying for it in spades. I tend to dilute the smoke quite a bit before I blow it up and through my nose. And maybe that's the difference. I, I get the you know a tingle through the nose, but it's not painful at all, I think, to me. So you're like you're taking your puff and your puff is not just smoke, your puff is half air, half smoke or some sort of Exactly. I'm aerating my palate. I gotcha. Um you know, I that's a good point. I I can see that that would certainly help more. I don't typically aerate a lot of my uh, cigars because I let them out, my puffs out, much more slowly than, than typical. But uh, that might not be a bad idea when retrohaling. Yeah, it, <laughs> choking myself to death. It uh, helps a lot for me. I mean, it. it it seems that I get more flavor and less burn when I do it that way. Well, I, I need less burn because I'm, uh, I think I'm about to go get a Kleenex here. I'm starting to run. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I'm not a huge fan of this retro hail. I can see that there are other flavors available to you. Um, these cigar to me, these cigars are six and a half years old at this point. Um, uh, judging by what I'm sensing here and how I've kind of watched the development of this bundle, these cigars are getting better. They have a ton of room for development still. There's a lot of strength, a lot of substance, a lot of depth. I believe they're getting deeper. Um, excellent construction. I have enjoyed this uh, a lot thus far. Um same here. A lot. Uh, I'm grooving on it. It really is a cigar that I I want to smoke and want to concentrate on. Though I think um, you could you could have this as a complement to something else that you're doing or a supplement, excuse me. But I'd say that if you're sitting out on your deck and it's a comfortable evening, and you can uh, you know you can just sit back with a book or with a fine conversation and just have this and nurse it for a few hours, you're gonna you're gonna enjoy that. I am. I am two hours and 40 minutes right now, and I bet I've got two and a half inches left. Yeah, that's about what I'm, I'm caught up with you. That's about what I got left. But um, if there was a way I could cut this one of these in half without tearing it to pieces, I, I would smoke it and smoke the other half later. I'm telling you, man, if you ever want to not smoke anything else for a week and just spend your money on one – Buy a Bahike 52. There, it's that the blend was made for that Vitola size. It's just a great, great Vitola. Yeah, and I'm getting that uh, little bit of a citrus renaissance through this now. It actually reminds me, we have a juice here, and I guess you have it anywhere. Thing. Depends on who you ask what the name of this fruit is. Some people call them sweet limes and others call them sour oranges, but they're the size of an orange, but similar to a lime in flavor, although not as sharp. 
And of course, when you pour a pound of sugar in the juice, it makes it much less sharp. And it's, it's very good, very refreshing. And that's kind of what this reminds me of. Just a little bit of a, a cleanup. Hmm. Well, I had, uh, um, there's a little bit of a story here, not incredibly related to the cigars we're smoking, but from some similar, uh, similarly procured um, bahikes from the same person, from the same trip, uh, I was able to go to Santiago in 2011, early, early 2000, might have even been 2010, December 2010. Um Anyway, so I went and uh, was able to have these bahikes, uh, some of these bahikes that had cracked wrappers, damaged wrappers, um, removed of their original uh, Habano wrapper and covered in a number of different uh, non-Cuban tobacco leaf wrappers. And so I was lucky enough to be able to experiment a touch with the uh, uh, Bihikes with non-Cuban wrappers on them and had some really interesting results. But when you think about it, and when we have this result that we're kind of talking about today, uh, or summary perhaps is a good way of putting it, it makes a little more sense. I went through and smoked, I believe, four different wrappers on the Bihikes, Um And I found that the wrapper that paired best with the cigar was actually uh, a shade grown Connecticut. Um, And now thinking about this as we're smoking it and kind of discussing a little more, the shade grown Connecticut has just got that beautiful crispness to it. When you're smoking something that is just so rich and so deep and dark as this, that crispness, that citrusy uh, characteristic to the wrapper there's no doubt that it would pair wonderfully or that it would at least help out to cut that richness. And uh, it most certainly did. I gave one of those to Zedman, the one of the last ones that I had left. And uh, he actually has shared some comments very similar to what we're talking about here um, with that cigar being very rich and very uh, filled with like a beanie flavor as well. Um, but, I'm I'm curious if uh, if we smoked this the original compared to that Connecticut wrapped one that he had, um, if we would note perhaps a little bit more of that crispness, that palate cleanser, natural palate cleanser, working well with these cigars. Um, it was a, a clear cut winner back in 2011, 2012 when we when I originally smoked some of those uh, alt wrapper bahikes, but it makes a lot of sense now. Gotcha. A lot of sense. I got distracted a little bit by the chat room <laughs> talking about dogs. No, no problem at all. It uh, it's not like I haven't been there before. <laughs> well, it's a blessing when you visit the chat room. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, well, well. Shall we? Uh, we're going on an hour and forty-five minutes of recording. Shall we talk a bit more about what uh, we're going to be doing next week? Yeah, let's do it. Let's see. i got to get back to the notes. I'm there. We will be smoking for episode 154, the 2015 Angels Anvil from Crown Kids. 
Uh, we had the 2014 a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we'll see what happens with 2015 next time around. And, of course, if you'd like to get in touch with us in the meantime, over all the many dogs of Santiago, you can get us at Craig at halfashed.com or Kip at halfashed.com. And, of course, at the, the all the normal social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And you're always welcome to come join us at the forum at halfashed.com. Well, very cool. I... Uh... As I close out uh, most shows with a bit of a dedication, tonight I'm maybe going to change it up a little bit, and I'm going to uh, throw an audible. And, uh, Kip, I'm going to send this one out to you, and maybe you can talk a little bit about the really amazing thing that uh, has happened recently to you uh, or that you know of, a little bit of a story that you've shared some of here on the podcast uh, before. Maybe you can share just a little bit about that now the uh the school yeah that actually just came up in the chat room because i had forgotten to talk about it uh the community we work in in palo alto up in the mountains just north of santiago uh, many of you who know me know this but uh, we we spend a lot of time up there and with the people and whatnot teach some english classes that kind of stuff and their um, school had a series of earthquakes that quite literally split the building in half <laughs> you could put an arm through the walls of this building and the government condemned it. And of course that meant nothing. They continued to use it until another earthquake made it just even unusable. Uh, and so they were still going to use it and the government came and bulldozed it. So they've had no school uh, for close to a year now, I guess. Yeah. Cause Michael Stewart was down in January and I believe they'd already torn it down by then and they've been, holding school in uh, this tiny little building. It's a church in the community there that probably would comfortably hold 30 people. And they have a, about a hundred or 120 students, I guess. And they've been meeting there trying to conduct some, some kind of school. And uh, if you can believe this about three weeks ago, they started construction on the school, which is, something we never saw coming. We did not, the, the, the expectation was the government, the election's over, nobody's going to build a new school. They were just going to be without for years, but hmm. they actually put that whole stinking school together in three weeks. Um, they put a couple of courses, a block around the, the old school was concrete blocks entirely, which is typical. Um, but they just put a couple of courses, a blocks. And then from there up as a wood frame with a, a tin roof on it and, they had their inauguration this morning and opened the school back up. They they start classes Monday. We're going back up there Monday to help them move all the desks and everything down to the school from the church where it's at now. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's really cool, man. That's uh, hell. That's that's about as positive as any dedication I've given. That's great, man. Yeah, it was uh, it was a cool thing, but it it went as as is normally the case. It, the inauguration was at nine o'clock this morning. <laughs> we got there about five after nine, thinking we're going to be late. We weren't. Not only were we not late, we we sat down and we waited and waited, and people were just kind of milling about. We're just chatting with everybody, and it got on up about lunchtime or so. And uh, the Hartsfields, who I was with, are in the process of adopting a child here, and she had to be back in San Diego to 
she has school in the afternoon. And so we had to leave and we left at lunchtime and they still hadn't started. Oh my gosh. Education minister who was supposed to be there to speak, to open this school had not shown up and they got him on a phone. Uh, it's rare to have a phone that works up there, but somebody had one. And he was, he did not even know it was today. He thought it was a different day. And so he was trying to get up there and I don't know when or if they even got the, got it done, but the school is open Monday. <laughs> the, the blessing was like a drive by. Hey, we opened it. Yay. See you later. <laughs> Five o'clock tonight. Well, I, uh, how about, we end the show by uh, dedicating it to the fine men and women who uh, ensured that that place was actually going to get built and subsequently has rather than uh, just lip service given during an election. I can tell you a big part of who made that happen on the side of the community. And it's the guy we work with very closely. Um, and he is a linchpin or a, a, a keystone for that community. And, his name's Gregorio Graceske, which does not sound like a Latino name, but this man is 100% Dominican, and um, they call him Am Amado as his nickname, which just means loved or beloved, and uh, just a sweetheart of an old dude. Um, his whole family is, and, and he's the guy that I'm quite sure was behind the scenes pushing buttons and, and rattling chains to make this happen. Well, then, without question and without any further hesitation, it is my absolute pleasure to send this one out to Amato tonight. It's uh, it's always nice when good things happen in the world, and it's even better when they're spearheaded by good people who uh, will likely not just make one good decision in their life. So definitely goes out to him, whether he can even speak English to understand what we're saying or not. No, not a word. Uh, <laughs> that's even cooler. Well, Kip, I had a great time. Uh, those of you in our new chat room on YouTube, uh, I hope you also had a great time. I'm not exactly sure how we're going to make that uh, link public, but folks, if you're listening to this, you want to open up your YouTube app on your phone or pad or whatever, or go to um, the link, I'm sure we will get that published somehow, somewhere for next week and uh, or our next recording, and we certainly hope to see you there. So. Without any further hesitation, I say good night, everybody, and thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.